before we start for real, for real, I want to read you just as we literally as we were hooking up to record this between our planning session and our actual talking. And I got a message coming through the U Historical Society website. Someone filled out a form. Oh, my God. And Lou sent in subject, relief, joy, gratitude, message. I'm very grateful that your podcast has returned. It is with great joy and relief to be able to walk again with you both at my side. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I had so many adventures. I've enjoyed spending time getting to know your son. Yeah, how is it talking to my son more than I do? (laughs) He's a very good editor and he understands sound quality a lot and feels mine is worse than yours. Uh Uh-oh. Which, listening to the things is definitely accurate. So I'm sorry, people, about the bad sound quality. Emmanuel did the best he could. He's he's working with the raw material that he's got, right? (laughs) In his first email, he says, also, it was really surreal listening to my mother talk about blowjobs, so thanks for that, Liz. <laughs> okay, to be fair, I never said the words blowjobs no, until you now. allowed me. And they were metaphorical, <laughs> metaphorical blowjobs. <laughs> exactly. So, how are you? How is your life? How is your adventure? My month has been magical. Mm-hmm. Magical. So, I got into the van and finally got to live my itinerant van life exciting dream adventure yes and so i drove down to vancouver and got anthony settled into school and then i drove through victoria and near seattle and then through the mountains and saw people and then to westwood which was fabulous and magical and then back i'm just in saskatoon fixing up the van before i head down to charlottesville did you break it no but there's definitely improvements that need making (laughs) now that you've lived (laughs) in it for a month you were aware of things you might not have been aware of I assumed that would happen. That's why I planned this this way, so that like I could have a month of figuring out what I liked and didn't yes. like, and then a week with access to a shop to fix all the things I did not like. So that was helpful. So I want to know, when you when you get in your van and you drive away from places, do you start singing, on the road again? <laughs> no, I have a playlist. That is not no, on my playlist. That is not on your playlist? But I do have a like magical driving away playlist <laughs> that <laughs> okay. is... Is but mostly by the mountain goats. I do not know about the mountain goats. Yeah, they. I don't think you would like them, but okay. I like Why? them a lot. And they have a song that goes, "I'm gonna make it through this year if it kills me," which is really good. I don't know. That I, seems like it could be my theme song <laughs> for half of my life. Why do you think I wouldn't like the mountain goats? Well, so I listened to that all through 2020 when I was dreaming about going on the road in my van. And I don't think that this musician makes life choices you would approve of. So, like, there's this one verse where he's like, I pulled into the driveway, scream, like his tires were screaming and he was drunk drinking a beer and calls out and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so I'm like, don't want to sing about driving drunk. So I'm like modifying these lyrics as I'm like being all badass. And I'm like, <laughs> I was on my bicycle drinking juice. Oh, juice. High, high sugar content. Drinking fizzy water <laughs> with lime. <laughs> By the end of but like, then the I'm bubbles like, could mm. get up your nose and you'd crash. <laughs> so I think maybe I'm too goody two-shoes for the mountain goats and you are even more of a goody two-shoes than me. So Okay. Did you know that if you put a bubbly water in a travel mug, it will blow the top off? No. That's yeah. a helpful warning. Yeah. I mean, it's not as exciting as you would want it to be. It doesn't like, you know, shoot it up into the sky or anything but one day Lori and I were going somewhere and I was being really smart and instead of just bringing boring water I put grapefruit bubbly water in the travel mug Uh. and I put the lid on and we got in the car and we're driving down the road on the road again and I hear (laughs) pop 
and then I hear there's a plosive for you and then I hear bubbles and wet things of course there were a lot of things in that bag that were not my travel mug which is secure but turns out a fresh can of bubbly has enough boom in it to blow the top off. I'm curious about your description of this as not as exciting as you would have liked it to be. What would you have liked? Well, you know, it's not when I say it blew the top off, I don't mean that it like shot up six feet in the air and bubbles went everywhere. I just mean loud pop, drink all over my bag. But it right. made an exciting noise when you're driving down a highway. That is a sound you do not want to hear. Pop, very loud, not good. Well, but a six foot... Exp- I'm, I'm, I'm just saying the things you would like to have happen when you are driving are more exciting than the things I would like to have happen when I'm driving. Oh, okay. I mostly listen to the Vinyl Cafe and my road trip playlist. Aw, and yeah. mountain goats that I would not approve of. Well, they don't make good life choices. Okay, I'm willing to accept that. But they're excellent lyricists. And you love me and I don't make good life choices and I'm an excellent lyricist. No, it was magical. I think we all don't make good life choices at different points in our in our good or bad lives. I'm curious because you're one of the few people that I know that has also lived in a vehicle. Like, I'm having so much trouble describing what it felt like because it feels profoundly different from the life that preceded it in a way that I would describe as spiritual despite not believing in any of the things that people would think of as spiritual things but there is a before you go any further I want you to describe for the people the vehicle that you are traveling in I am traveling in a minivan that I have converted so it has a very nice bed in the back and it has a um, very rudimentary water system. So, like, I can press a button, water comes out, and it goes into a bucket, and I empty the bucket in a bush. Uh, it has a pretty good electrical system, so I have, like, electric blankets and lights and chargers and all those kinds of things. And it did not have a heater, but it will now. Yeah, <laughs> That's one of the, the, one of the improvements. To be changed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have a little kitchen set up and all that kind of stuff. I pictured, like, a lot of the van life videos are, like, you're roughing it in the woods, and you're cooking, and you're trying to put effort into making this van livable. How are you going to live? And my experience was that I didn't create my life so much as it was handed to me by the people in the places I was. So Mm. I would wake up in the morning and I would make breakfast. And then you'd book visiting people and dinners at people's houses. And there was music and sing-alongs and all these different things. So every day was filled with nature walks, lots of beauty and time having really interesting conversations because when you parachute in and you have a few hours to catch up you get right to the good stuff you get the best hours yes and like even feeding myself I made oatmeal in the mornings and then mostly food would just appear it felt a little bit like I imagine being a monk feels but I don't want to say out loud because it sounds super stupid because we're pretty (laughs) sure it's not yeah I have no idea what being a monk feels like It feels the way I imagine being a Buddhist nun when I watch YouTube videos. There's Buddhist nuns in minivans on YouTube? No, there's a Buddhist monk from Los Angeles on YouTube who makes videos that make me angry and I yell at the screen. So before we get too far down the path of um, vehicular living comparison, I just want to set the stage for what my story is. And that is... That when I lived in a vehicle, by the way, my vehicle, I think, was probably vastly superior to your vehicle. <laughs> On account of, it really was like living in a house, just had a well, bunch of wheels. Well, you had a fireplace. I was in what had originally been a school bus, and then the owner, before we got it, had 
um, squared off the back two thirds. So he had like mm-hmm. cut cut it open like a tin can, I guess, cut it open. Yeah. And so if you were following the bus, it looked like you were following a truck, right? This back was okay. square. I'm using my hands to show Liz, which of course that's not going to be helpful. It's working great for me. But the back was square. And so it had a full ceiling. It wasn't like a, a normal old fashioned school bus where the ceiling is curvy and at the edges, like it's a lot shorter. Yeah. And it had a full kitchen, it had a stove and an oven and a sink and the ability wow. to run water and it had a holding tank and a bathroom. The only thing it didn't have was a shower, but showers are findable. Look at you so fancy in your bus. It had lots of <laughs> windows and it had two bus seats facing each other with a table in between that could be made into a bed. So there was a table and I made curtains for it. How? Did your bus have a sewing machine? Uh, no, before we left. And I had this bolt of dusty rose. Dark. It was really pretty raw silk, like the coarse kind with the mm-hmm. with the texture. So we had raw silk, <laughs> raw silk curtains on the school well, bus. Well, I had Reflectix that I cut to the shape of my minivan windows. So that, I had something on my windows too. That probably would have been far more practical, actually. But <laughs> the silk was very pretty. And it was lovely and it had lots of cupboards above the sink like there was lots of storage and then there was a whole double bed in the back and then there were um, some bunk spaces and a fireplace okay but here's the thing your bus mm. lovely mm. and beautiful and better than my minivan as it sounds mm. had children in it that you were responsible that for taking is care the of. tricky bit there were seven people traveling in this bus that is essentially one room of a giant tin can and and three of them were adults and four of them were children the youngest one learned to walk in the bus hi margaret and um yes it was very exciting and there were clouds painted on this the, the ceiling was painted blue and then there were clouds wow. painted on the ceiling. it was very pretty and very fun and it was really ide- idealistically adorable and it was less fun than you were having <laughs> <laughs> how did you sleep like what would you do when one person woke up did everybody always wake up when one person woke up like that's what i'm most concerned about yeah there was a wake and there was a sleep these were your choices right but like when the, John goes to sleep quite a bit later than me, right. and then I get up quite a bit earlier than him. Nope. And if we were in a bus, nope. there'd only be four hours of sleep time. <laughs> nope, not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and there was a door at the front and a door at the back. So that is also good if something. So you woke, woke up, up and left? Like if you woke up before the other humans, you could go outside and be okay. free and make noise or do whatever you needed to do. <laughs> go find the shower. Um, and we traveled with the bus and a car because sometimes you like set up the bus and settle it and then you right. bomb around town in the car. I slept on a very comfy six inch foamy that we put down on the kitchen floor. At oh night, my. Right. So all the other people were crammed in the back on various bed levels, but I had this foamy in the kitchen floor. So I could actually get up. Well, lucky you. <laughs> and lift up my foamy and have a life. But that sounds like kind of freeing. But the other side of that is if anybody else got up, they were likely to step on my head. <laughs> Since many of the people were small, that was not as painful as you might think. Well, and the adults were considered enough to not step on my head. But it was cozy. Nobody steps on me in the van. That's right. There is a significant difference, no matter how lovely the vehicle is, between seven and one people. 
<laughs> so like what did you do during your days? I like I arrive in a congregation or a place and I spend during the week visiting with people and going on hikes mostly is what I do. I exercise and I see people. And then I usually have a workshop or something like that and also a Sunday service. And then I go to the next place. But what did you do during your days, you and the seven children? (laughs) Me and the seven children. Me and the four children and the other two adults. Right. I heard seven. I hear. It's all a judgment call. (laughs) Well, the difference here, too, is that you are on some kind of a purposeful adventure, right? Like you have a schedule Mm -hmm. mapped out where you have to be places by a particular date or time. We were on an adventure and we didn't have to actually be too many places by too many specific times. How did you make enough money to live? Yeah, that's probably the least fun part of the whole thing. So, oh oh my God, what did you do? Not that. (laughs) Whatever is making, Liz is making horrified, shocked eyes like, oh my God, she's a mountain goat. I was thinking smuggling bombs. I'm not sure why that's where I went immediately. I don't know why you would go there. (laughs) That is like the last thing I would do is smuggle bombs. There's a lot of technical knowledge involved in that merchandising. And there's not enough room for a bomb workshop. (laughs) I've been working on. on selling mugs and that's the peak logistics for me. (laughs) Yeah. So we were kind of in creative hippie bus mode. So Mm -hmm. we had a lot of jewelry making and art making supplies with us. And sometimes if we ran out of money, we couldn't go anywhere until we could make enough money to leave. (laughs) (laughs) So we would make jewelry and and, uh, make art and sell stuff. And then we would carry on. So it really was a, a funky adventure. What if you run out of food and you need to feed the children? Have you ever known me to run out of food? I have never known you to make your living using jewelry. This is before my time. Yeah, you know, it turns out I can make my living doing just about anything except maybe smuggling bones. Logistics. <laughs> Logistics, that's right. <laughs> um, yes, because I have this creative streak where I like <laughs> to just sort of wander off and do wild things. That's true. I've seen you do all kinds of different things for a job. Mm-hmm. You can fit into any situation. Which I guess is why you ended up being a minister, because then you do have to fit into any situation. Right. There are so many situations. Okay, so you were you were telling us, and I interrupted you because I just wanted to describe how my life was harder <laughs> than yours. Um, my, my vehicle was superior in terms of having everything, although it was older and it was like Armstrong steering. And so uh, none of us could drive it except the one male human because it really took a lot of strength to turn the steering wheel also he didn't want anybody else to drive it so he told us we couldn't but that's another story for another day Uh so your sexist child-filled bus our our sexist child-filled bus was a very good adventure but it was not maybe as carefree as your van experience well, I have places I have to be, right. although I don't ever worry about running out of money to get there because that's Mirth and Dignity's problem, not mine. Right. And you also like going places to talk to people and do workshops and visit. Oh, it's and so stuff. fun. And you got lots of personal space in between, right? Because you've yes. got all that driving down the highway and all that hiking in the mountains. And It turns out I really like driving. Maybe it's because everywhere I was driving was beautiful. Do you, um, when you're driving, do you feel like you solve all the problems of the universe? Sometimes, but then I don't remember when I stop. Mm. And sometimes I put them in my notes app, like I dictate, but I always say not enough about it. So then it is very unclear. (laughs) Right? Sometimes I yell, hey, Siri, take a note. 
Yeah, right. And then your note is like, we need to think of this as a potato metaphor. Re-rummage sale. (laughs) Exactly. Her her dictation skills are just weak. There are some gaps she doesn't fill in. She does not read my mind either. Don't worry. She will. Okay. So you were talking about how sometimes this van adventure is like a spiritual experience. Okay, here's my question. A while before I went on my van adventure, I was reading a book about how people think of time. It was by Mm -hmm. a productivity expert who studied all the different types and came to the conclusion that you can't actually manage your time into the submission. And he says, Westerners... Well, I could have told him that. (laughs) Well, he had to study for many years. He says, our particular culture thinks of time almost as like a conveyor belt going by and there's boxes and you pick what goes in where and then if you fit it exactly right you can make everything fit yay and mm. your employer buys a certain number of boxes and a certain number of boxes go to various things i can see you nodding this is also how i think of time and then he says not everyone thinks that way some people are just living in the moment as it unfolds around them oh crazy like, talk <laughs> and i have heard people from other cultures say to me it's super weird how you guys think about time most people just live their lives And I wanted to have that. And when I was in the van, it felt that way because it was almost like I used to read Laura Ingalls Wilder stories about the pioneers. And it's like you make a life out of what's around you. This is a substantially different situation because there are stores around me and I have a MasterCard. You're not down to three dandelions and a pine branch. Yeah, yeah, no, very different from Ma and Pa on the prairie. But there is this feeling of like, now it's morning time. The van is cold. We crack the window and start making the oatmeal. And then the van warms up. And then it is time to go to the gym because it's not yet warm enough to sit in the van. So there is no question of whether or not I'm going to exercise. I need to go exercise now. That's how you stay warm at nine in the morning. Right. So you're more intimately impacted by the weather. Yes. And by the light and things like that. I felt like I had lots of time. Hmm. Like... I was just living in a life that was unfolding and there was room for everything. It was remarkable. And I felt so connected to the people around me. And there's beauty and nature everywhere. And so much music all the time. Singing while I was driving and people around the piano when I was visiting. Like, that was remarkable to me. So I was curious if your sense of time was different when you lived in the bus. I think my sense of time is always different than that. Like, I, I don't fit tidily in that there are this many boxes and you fit into them although when I'm working for somebody else I do have that experience Mm -hmm. but for the most part I think I'm kind of a make it up as you go along human and but I do think there was a huge difference depending on where I live or the circumstances I'm living in so like if I have a tv it's like time is not as noticeable because there could be sound all the time say more about that why do you need what what does sound mean time doesn't well, what i mean is like when when we were out in the bus like it late at night it's quiet everything is quiet yeah because you have to be quiet because the children are sleeping so we often parked in a campground sometimes we parked mm-hmm. like at somebody's property we visited my parents and they had a big flat spot on the yard where we stayed for a few days but often we stopped in a campground and the campgrounds at night there's a point in time when it gets quiet right where if you're in a house and you've got a television or the radio playing or something it's different when you're in these much thinner walled things you think about the people around you so you don't compete so much with the rhythm of the sounds that are occurring so night is dark and quiet and morning is 
actually in slow. So I did have that experience you were talking about, about waking up and knowing, you know, it's time you, you either have to bury deep into the covers or you've got to get up and do mm-hmm. something because it's too cold to just stay in this thing. But we did have a wood stove, so it was never really too cold. In fact, sometimes it was mm, too hot and slightly scary. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I did not have that experience of trying to keep the children from burning themselves to death. I highly recommend not having that experience. Right. Um, but, you know, my, I think my favorite time and the thing that comes up when you're describing the experience you were having is there was one time where we parked in a campground at the south end of Nanaimo called the Living Forest Campground. Mm-hmm. And it is technically rainforest. Mm-hmm. And... It's right above the ocean and it was salmon spawning season and like it's way high up. You have to go down a long way to get down to the ocean, but there is a path. But the salmon were spawning up a stream that goes through the campground. And at that time of year and in British Columbia, there are tons of eagles who are thinking, hmm, snack time because all these nice red salmon are just like stuck in the pond working their way up. And... I would go for a walk with the little kids and I'm not kidding. Margaret learned to walk in the bus. So she was less than two and Mm -hmm. I would go for a walk with the little kids and there would be eagles soaring overhead, not very far away. And I would realize that eagle is not a lot smaller than Margaret. (laughs) (gasps) And I think they have very sharp talons and I have seen videos of eagles carrying larger things away and thank goodness it was spawning season because they would go down into the stream and they would grab a big fat full of egg salmon in their talons and they would fly away with it. And those things are huge. I don't know if you've seen like whole salmons out in the wild. They're big. And it would fly away with them. And sometimes they would fly over our heads. And I would think again, oh, God, hold on to the children. And then every once in a while, a salmon would fall because they, like, their, their <gasps> oh claws would rip right out of the salmon. And so I always think of it as the place where we lived where salmon fell from the sky. <laughs> when you say you found a way to feed everyone, do you mean that eagles dropped salmon on your head and you fried it up in the stove? No, we did not eat eagle droppings. Why? That's a waste. Perfectly good salmon. You don't, You're just no gonna... spawn when salmon are spawning. They're not. They're not for people. But if it's dead anyways. Yeah, it. I'm not eating eagle dropping spawning red salmon in the no. Well, no. look who all of a sudden is no. a fifth fussy Besides, eater. the eagles would come back for them. They were not exactly <laughs> like leaving them. They were hungry. They, they were feeding creatures with those salmon. Did you but, hold the salmon over Margaret's head? Like, take this instead? <laughs> <laughs> These are delicious. Not okay, delicious. we no. were never that close to the salmon and the eagles. <laughs> because I was not um, that wrong. <laughs> But it was beautiful. Like it was beautiful. These huge, tall, majestic trees and the that foggy, hazy BC skyline, and it was gorgeous. And I like I loved being there. And you'd sit in the in the bus, and there weren't many people camping because it was winter. Although people don't realize in the rest of the country that winter in British Columbia is like you know fall everywhere else. Green, green, tons of greenery. It's green and luscious and beautiful. It was gorgeous in every way. I've one complaint about British Columbia, which is like when you said, and then we went down to the ocean and we saw the blah blah blah. 
You glazed <laughs> over that. But in fact, a walk to a place in BC is like a mountaineering experience compared to It is not flat. They're like, it is not this flat. It's a moderate level difficulty hike. And in Saskatchewan, we would like, there is no way. <laughs> I'm going to sit beside this cliff and order an Uber is what we would have rated that hike in Saskatchewan. And it would be a helicopter Uber. <laughs> yeah. Like, a car would be like, forget it. I don't have the engine power to get up that cliff. There is a lot of accessible access to the ocean in British Columbia. But, but yes, many of the hikes are definitely an adventure. At Saltwater Unitarian Universalist Church, they have the most incredible choir. And so it was like, and nice. they all dressed up in their like funniest, weirdest costumes. So it was like color was it and funny, laughter. weird day or were they doing that to make you happy? Because I was there. They decided they would all wear really weird costumes, which was really, And their worship bell is made out of a decommissioned missile head. Really? What they ring in order to... <laughs> Look, if you're going to smuggle missiles, you need to get more on the ball. It's like you don't even know what a decommissioned missile head even looks like. It's a perfect you're worship right. bell. Think of the metaphor here. It's it, it was wonderful. And so as things are wrapping up and they're moving on to the next thing, and I was like, so I want to do a walk before I get back on the road. This was my question all the right. time. This is a great tip. If you're traveling, ask local people. I want to go do a walk. And behind the church was like... This, I don't know, maybe a kilometer path mm -hmm. down to the ocean. Now, down and up was a lot of down and up. But it was like right. through what I think is a rainforest. I don't know if right. other people consider it a rainforest. It was breathtaking around every corner. And then opened up onto the ocean with the pebbles and the beauty. I felt so lucky to be able to nice. do this. Nice. So I have been watching your adventure because I think back to the bus adventure all the time. And... I watch your adventure as you documented on Facebook, which I know from experience is only ever an altered portion of the truth. <laughs> Shut but... up. That's not true. <laughs> so I watch it because I keep watching to see if you're having any parallel experiences to I'm having or just mm -hmm. to find out what you're doing. And just because I love reading what you write because you're so entertaining and adorable. Aww. But, oh, but, um, <laughs> but I wonder, one thing you said is... Something about you have a lot to learn or you've made a bunch of mistakes or you're not really good at it yet or something. And then people started giving you advice, like giving you lists of names of people who also <laughs> live in vans. I don't know if they know that you don't really have ever actually talk to other people. You just do what you want to do. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> okay. How often have you called someone up and said, I need advice on how to improve my van life? I have asked you, who are someone who has lived in a van, for detailed advice. So how can you say that I don't have any friends yeah. who lives in vans who I ask advice? I don't think in this context I should be trusted. <laughs> also, I listen to podcasts of people in vans. There's a really good one called Built to Go if anyone's ever interested. Listening to podcasts is not the same as taking advice. <laughs> There's advice in podcasts. And... It's the gathering of information, but I think you like to percolate to get to the Liz version. I just don't take the advice from everyone who's decided that their advice is what I should listen to. I choose which advice I take. Which I do because you advised me to make decisions in that way. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> then it must be true. Yes. And right. So what that makes me think of is when we were doing the bus adventure and we were gone for a number of months. And to be fair, a big chunk of it when we stayed in Nanaimo like, to be near my family and stuff for a while, we did rent a small house and park the bus in the yard and... Um, some of us lived in the house and some of us lived in the bus. And I was the first one off the bus, let me just say. Oh. <laughs> I lived in the house with most of the children, actually. But it was great. It was great. I loved it. But when we were... You say, because one of those children now edits the podcast. <laughs> That's right. The eldest of those children now edits the podcast. And it was lovely. And no one ever got carried off by an eagle like a fish. And then we had to go find them. Exactly. We never lost any of them. Yay. That's one thing we did, right? I'll put a tick in the air for that. So on the bus adventure, the question that kept being asked over and over, well, it wasn't a question. It was more of a <sighs> heavy sigh. People would say, oh, I wish I could yeah. do what you're doing. And I would think, um, well, my first mistake was I would start telling them how we did it. And then their eyes glaze over and I realize, oh, that wasn't a question. And then I think, well, anybody can mm -hmm. do what we're doing. I mean, we didn't have a lot of money. We made mm -hmm. it up as we went along. It 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 didn't require a <laughs> high skill set or a large <laughs> income or bank account or anything. I think what they really meant was, I wish I could be as irresponsible <laughs> as you. <laughs> and anyone can. <laughs> And anyone can! <laughs> Turns out, anyone can. And you know, I I understand how that's a big deal for some people and how, I mean, it can be a big deal for me sometimes when I look back at it and I think about the choices I've made in my life. And people have very clear ideas of what it is to, you know, like to be responsible in their job or never take time away or to never mm -hmm. go off and do something or to have you know, a certain amount of money going in the retirement fund um, every month. And so all of these things, they, they build up into reasons why they can't do this thing they want to do. And I don't think they really wanted to do what mm -hmm. I was doing. So I'm going to come back and ask you if you're having this experience. But I don't think they wanted to do what we were doing. I think they wanted to feel like they could do whatever they wanted to do. Yeah, that feeling of freedom. That they could make a choice and just do something that seemed maybe ridiculous. I do think there is something to, and people have expressed this more about the tiny house than the minivan. Maybe because I post more about the tiny house, also because the tiny house is far more beautiful than the minivan. It is beautiful. Nobody looks at my minivan and thinks, I wish I could sleep in there. But the, the tiny house is beautiful, and a lot of people have said, I wish I could do that, and I do have that experience. So just for context for people, I built a tiny house, which is almost ready to live. Well, sort of. Well, I built a tiny house. I built the outside of it, I, and in the spring, I'm going to come back and finish the inside. And the idea is that I don't have a full-time residence that I need to pay rent for. I pay John a small amount, but it I can empty all the water, and I can just leave it. So... When I travel in the minivan, I'm not paying for a home at the same time. So financially, that works out really well. And a lot of people look at the tiny house and say that they wish they could do that. And I want to say you can, but in fact, not, I couldn't even. Like, Doug built the tiny house. Right, <laughs> right. So, no, you can is maybe an overstatement. Right. It requires a lot of skills that we aren't just necessarily born with. But what you can do is evaluate 
what kind of life you're supposed to live right. and make intentional choices. And right. if it's not the life that society is saying this is how people are supposed to live, that's just fine. And there was a piece of liberation around that when I left the surgeon's wife in the penthouse pillar of society life. There mm-hmm. was a moment where, and it was a hard moment, and I went through the ringer, but came out on the other side saying, you know what, I'm going to be dead soon. I'm going to do it my way. There's nothing wrong with me. Everybody's going to be dead soon, not just me. But the, oh, I didn't oh, want great. people to think I had cancer. I feel better. You'll all be dead soon, <laughs> okay. too. Right. Um, okay. But like, you get In one the grand life. scheme of things. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like maybe there's a better way to phrase this. Hmm. Perhaps you should take over. Life does not go on forever. So perhaps I should do <laughs> this thing that seems important to me. And nobody cares. That's the other thing is people say, right? aren't you worried? Where will you sleep? And you are aware when you pull over somewhere and you put up your shades that this is not what people are supposed to do. People are not supposed to right. sleep in vehicles on the side of the road. But you're also aware that nobody really cares how you live your life. Really? Mm-hmm. Like, nobody's paying any attention. And so even if someone does realize you're sleeping in there, they don't care. If you sleep in there mm-hmm. night after night outside their house, they'll care. But one night, as long as you're sleeping in different locations, doesn't matter. You can sleep wherever you want. Right. Well, and there are a lot of people who live in vehicles out of necessity, right? Like, they've run out of options. It's a different and the other option is a shelter, yeah. which is an entirely different experience. But I still think that, you know, if you've got that vehicle that you're living in, that's kind of a miracle. That's that's walls and that's privacy and that's a place that is your own like because nobody ever said to me oh you're going away on a bus really nobody I mean Mm -hmm. maybe that's something they were just polite enough to not say but mostly they said oh I wish I could do that and I think okay first of all I don't think you want to go on the bus Um, (laughs) and second of all I think you have a different dream but I get it that us doing that it actually made people uncomfortable To think about how they had things, they had dreams and ideas that they wanted to do and they weren't doing them. Yeah, I think there is definitely a piece of that. Yeah. I also, the other thing that I really learned, so I have had times in my life where I was at the end of options. So I didn't live in a vehicle. I wasn't young enough and I didn't have a vehicle, but I was homeless. And one of the things I wondered is what would it feel like to be homeless again? Right. Right. I discovered that, in fact, in any meaningful way, I am not homeless. I have a home. It's my van, right? Right. Um, And homeless was an experience of I have nowhere to go. I have no power. I have no options. Mm -hmm. And this is an experience of the world is my oyster, right? And living so far below my means gives me all kinds of power. So this is an experience of being powerful. And that was an experience of being powerless. Mm -hmm. And it's totally a different experience. And this is far more comfortable than that was as well. But that's not the only difference. Like the story behind it makes a difference too. Well, and that that Living Sky Campground, this is more than 20 years ago. I don't know if it's the same anymore. But at the time we were there, it actually had a little street in it, Mm -hmm. like a little lane that was a community. And there were people who lived in campers mm-hmm. on that street. And the campers were permanent. Like they had little, mm-hmm. you know, they'd built up little bases around them. Like you do with a mobile home, how you put a skirt around yeah. it and you put a little deck beside it or something. But there were people living in the very simplest and smallest of little campers. Like mm-hmm. the little tiny things that you tow behind a car that most of the time people look at and think, oh, that's a junker, right? That's right. just yep. a piece of garbage and it's not going to survive. And people had taken those things and found ways to insulate them and found ways that they hung, like this was wintertime when we were there, they hung twinkle lights on them and they did all kinds of stuff. It was really adorable. And I remember thinking, 
that I could get that kind of camper really cheap or free. Mm -hmm. And all I had to do was get it to that campground. Yep. Right. And paying the rent on the spot was way less than what it would cost to rent an apartment. Yep. And that I would never, like, I think it changed something inside of me because I knew I would never have to stay in a bad situation. There were options that were more affordable than I had even imagined. Yes, exactly. It's just people don't want to think about living living in a little worn out, beat up kind of camper in the campground. But I think having peace and freedom is way more important than the specifics of the tin can that you were housed in. One of the many places I'd go for advice when I was building out my van, because I do take advice, was <laughs> a YouTube channel called RV Cheap RV Living. Yep. And it's a guy um, named Bob Wells who got into living in a box truck because he had alimony payments and fi for financial reasons and then discovered he right. loves this way of life. And I was watching one of the videos that's like 101. So... If you've just hit a financial crisis and you are mm -hmm. now going to need to live in your car, help, help, what are you going to do? Right. So he's like, it'll be okay. It's very pastoral. <laughs> he's looking right. at the camera. He's like, it's going to be okay. And he says, we're going to walk through what you're going to need to do. But before that, I want you to take a minute and realize that this could be an adventure. Right. You're thinking this is a disaster and there are going to be challenges, but this is also an adventure. This mm -hmm. might be something really exciting and wonderful. And I just, I wasn't in the situation of uh-oh panic, but it's such a gift. And his, his site is all about if you are, whether you're choosing by choice or you're forced into it, whatever, he's right. there to help. But that attitude that he has of this is exciting and fun... And he, he goes through people's cars with them, like he does tours. And it's so fun to watch people who are living in cars are often seen as fringes of society. And he's so excited. He's like, I love how you did this here and this box. Oh, that's so cheap and innovative and blah, blah, blah. And he like lifts them up and shows how their creativity and their decision making. And oh, it's such a good channel. It's so important just the way we tell the story. Yeah. And that's that's the skill or the gift he's giving them in that moment, right? Like there's this thing I learned from Sean Loney in the social enterprise workshops mm -hmm. was about taking what you think are your problems and flipping them on your head on their on your don't flip them on their <laughs> head. Flip them on their head and see them as resources. Mhm. Mm so, and you know, an easy example to think about is if you walk through a city in the fall, there's fruit rotting on trees everywhere and the people are letting it mm -hmm. fall to the ground. They're not picking it. And sometimes it's because the people can't use it or they don't want it. They just don't care about it. They might be elderly and unable to like climb that apple tree and pick those apples before they fall or something. And it just gets all too much for people. And People walk down the street and think, look at all this wasted fruit. There's all these hungry people and there's all this wasted fruit. Yep. And instead, he'd say, okay, so what have you got? You got fruit rotting on trees? You have a free or really inexpensive resource that you could do something with. You could feed people with mm -hmm. it. You could use it as the raw material for a value-added product, like people take apples and put them through mm -hmm. a cider press, right, and make apple cider or things. So... I mean, that's just one of a million examples. But this idea of taking how we look at something and now you see it as a disaster, but what if it could be an adventure is so good. I remember having 
a moment of realization in his workshop at Westwood, because I was in the same workshop you were in, and about how as church people were so aware that people are pouring out of churches and there's this big crisis about no one's interested in churches anymore. They're pouring out, they're pouring out. And that those people don't cease to exist as soon as they leave. So there Mm -hmm. is somewhere in the world where you could stand where they'd be pouring in towards you. And where's that spot? Right. Oh, what a good image. Which was the, that was the miracle of the hysterical society. Where are they? Well, one of the places they're pouring to is Facebook. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And so we weren't fighting with, come back, come back. No, you should. This is what it used to right. be. It has to look like this. Yeah, we we're yeah. setting up camp where you're headed anyways. Well, this makes me think of a wonderful conversation I was just having. I, I got to visit Vancouver and visit mm-hmm. all the congregations there. And and I was having coffee one morning with somebody who's studying for ministry. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a like an adult, this is not a young person. This is a later in life decision. So... Um, kind of like the retirement plan for ministry. And we had this wonderful conversation that started out at one point where we were talking about all the things that weren't working and all the things that were changing and weren't going to happen anymore and the ways, you know, you don't fit in when you're a certain age or you do a certain thing or like ministry is a is a declining occupation and most of our seminarians now are thinking about community ministry like Mm -hmm. working out in an agency or doing chaplaincy rather than working in congregations Mm -hmm. and so we were as people do sitting there doing the commiserating about and then they this and that thing goes wrong and then they people do this and they're just so wrong and this is the way it should be (laughs) and all of a sudden we shifted so I was saying so tell me after you're done your training and you do some mm-hmm. parish ministry for experience, tell me what kind of ministry you'd like to do. And their eyes lit up and got all sparkly. And they started to talk about, we'd been talking about things that matter to us first before we got all complainy. And then <laughs> they would say, well, you know, back to this thing that really matters to me. I think there's a way to do ministry in this area. Mm-hmm. And it started that back and forth conversation where, they would name one thing and I would name one thing and they would, oh, and then we could this and then we could do this with that. (laughs) And I realized that by the time 10 minutes had passed, I had a whole list of possibilities, right? And they were my possibilities. It's like, and so after this adventure, what will I do next? And I, you know, and there's so many ways to do the things you love or find what lights you up. It just may not look like what it was. So it was about changing the story. I didn't have to get the story exactly right. I do a really similar thing in the workshop. that So I'm preaching in congregations, tell the story of hysterical society, mirth and dignity. And then I offer workshops if they want them. And my plan was to offer social media and humor workshops. So we give them three choices. And nobody was interested. Nobody wants to learn to be funny because they're all making bad decisions. Or maybe they don't want to learn to be funny from me. Like maybe they're like, oh, they just got it wrong. I don't want to learn social media from her. She has no boundaries. Anyhow, they're, so nobody wants those workshops. Everybody wants um, one called Church of Our Imagination. Mm-hmm. And the idea of that is 10 years ago when I headed out into the world to say I'm going to position myself where people are pouring in and I'm going to learn how to do this all differently. Um, What did I learn? What are the shifts in mindset? What are the tools? Who's having success? Those kinds of things. And the core of this workshop is a game that's competitive. You go into pairs or groups and you have sheets that you have to fill out. And the goal is to get as many sheets as possible. And the sheet is basically a description of a community and how it works, how it's sustainable, blah, blah, blah. And you reach into a bucket and you pull out two attributes and a mission. So you might get there's apple trees with fruit. It could be a Mm -hmm. good thing or a bad thing. Right. The attributes are not defined. There's apple trees with 
with fruit and you have no money or you have a hundred thousand dollar endowment or you can exist with you can't use the internet right right constraints or assets and then the other one is a mission like you care about homelessness you're worried about global warming okay you want to create queer community and so you get take your two attributes and your mission and you have to make something really fast <laughs> you fill out your sheet <laughs> and then you fill out the next sheet and you fill out the next sheet and the goal is to get more sheets than your neighbor whoever gets the most sheets gets an indulgence it doesn't have to go to unitarian help it's competitive creating yeah competitive creating and by the end everyone is just like there are dozens and dozens of possibilities and a lot of these would need some heavy tweaking in order to be feasible but wait or a shredder or a shredder <laughs> but there's so much more possible than you're thinking if you're starting from this is the thing that's falling apart how do i fix it or shift it or right. change it slightly i keep thinking about the metaphor of like, you know, the photo of the concrete sidewalk that's crumbling and the dandelion is shooting up. And you can look at that as a photo about the decay of sidewalks or about the irrepressibility of dandelions. And we get to pick which one we are. Are we a crumbling sidewalk? Right, right. Or are we the dandelions? And where do you, who do you want to be in that story? It's such a powerful idea yeah. to me. It's so good. And I, I can remember a story about someone who is really badly injured and she talked about how she gave herself 15 minutes a day to feel oh, sorry nice. for herself. Like this was going to be a permanent injury. That she could imagine that if she, if she let herself, she could feel sorry for herself all the time and her life would just be filled with despair. Yeah. But she also knew that she couldn't deny this part of her that actually felt sorry for itself. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was a hard road to hoe. And so she gave herself 15 minutes every day to feel as miserable as she wanted. She could cry or write or swear or yell or whatever. And then she moved on. And I, I feel like this yeah. about this conversation that I just had, or like what you're talking about. So you've given me crumbling concrete. Now, what am I going to do with that as a resource? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Yep. Um, but we were, we had to talk about, well, you know, I love this and this is what's wrong with it. This is what's wrong with it. And then, but we didn't give ourselves a whole morning to talk about what was wrong with it. We gave ourselves a few minutes to mm -hmm. unload some of our stuff, get it out of the way and then look at, okay, but, but, but what do I have that I love? What do I have that inspires me? That dandelion and its resilience and its tenacity and determination. I love dandelions. They make my wife crazy. <laughs> As my father taught me when I was a child, weeds are a social construct. <laughs> exactly. And you can get your sticker at the <laughs> Hysterical Society website. Oh, speaking of infomercials, yes, will you tell yes. them about Elliot? <laughs> yes, yes. And you're going to be so impressed with me when I tell you I found out the secret piece of missing information is this about missile smuggling so Sorry. it is not so liz and i are going to be um we're we're the we're the we're the talent for winter <laughs> elliot 2023 so there's this do you want to say that again and i'll try not to laugh no i think it's funnier okay. when you laugh so okay. there's this camp it's a uu camp and it's at seabeck washington and it runs from december 28th to january 1st so into the new year to 2024 mm -hmm. and for three of those mornings 29 30 and 31 we're doing some short programming and um and the theme of our thing is changing our stories. Ooh. Yay! So if you've ever wanted to hang out in Washington, which is going to have less snow than Saskatchewan um, at that time of year, yay! yay! If you've ever wanted to hang out in Seabeck, Washington, by the ocean, with us, the ocean is equally exciting to us, I think. Yeah. Um, and if you, you know, 
don't have a hot date for New Year's or you want to bring your hot date for over New Year's, there's a party and festivity and celebration. And a ritual where you light candles and the boats go out onto the water. I think, like I'm 90% sure, this is the Seabeck that Ariel described to me, there's I, a 90% chance that you will meaningfully be able to send candles out into the water on New Year's I New have New never been to Elliot to this camp they have summer versions as well there's creative arts camp I've been to summer things and they I were hear amazing. wonderful things about them I've never been and so I'm really excited that we get to be there um so anyway link in the show notes we're doing that there'll there'll be a link in the show notes to this and registration is open until one week before camp starts holy crap right that's great so it starts December 28th I don't know what day that that's December 23 is a week later. Maybe let's go with 22 just so we're careful. But maybe don't wait until a week before because there's a chance it will sell out because it's such an amazing camp and I'm going to promote the crap out of it. Also, we are <laughs> adorable. I've got to say, you'll actually get to, you'll get yeah, to see. It's mostly how great the camp is. <laughs> that we have more than just voices. Or if you've seen us on the Zoom, we're more than just heads. And we will be bringing the whole shebang. Although Liz is not bringing the van. So if you are only coming to see the van. Then go to Ontario. It'll be parked in the middle of a blizzard just outside Waterloo. And the other thing, see how we're getting this oh. out of the way in the conversation so I don't have to record an outro later? I'm very excited about this. This is good. I'm on a this preaching tour good. and I'm doing workshops and coffee houses and stand-up stuff and worship and all kinds of things. Uh, if you live somewhere warm and are interested in a February or March date, ideally a March date, <laughs> now is the time to get in touch because <laughs> there's still a couple of spots left. Liz's van really like to wants go to go warm, somewhere where warm. They, ideally someplace where they do not think that cliffs are roads <laughs> or walking paths. So do be in touch. Link in the show notes. If you're from a UU congregation that you think might want to have a hilarious service about mirth and dignity and maybe a workshop or maybe not if you're warm i might come anyways awesome awesome i it's worth it it's totally worth it you don't know you've never been to the workshop i know but anywhere you are is worth it <laughs>